Amen and amen. All right. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome for those of you that are joining us. And uh, I know that there are some first-timers that are watching us online right now because we have prayed that God would do that. And so if you are first-time, know this. This is a divine appointment. Do not change that channel. Give us a few minutes. <laughs> Give me a more than that, would you? And just listen, because God has brought you to this moment. We are so grateful that every week, hundreds between those that listen on the live stream, the actual when it's happening, and then for those who listen to it later on one of the other platforms, hundreds every week that join with others or watch it personally or sometimes just on their phone. And so uh, we are so grateful to have each of you with us. And thank you again for being here and being faithful and being here outside. Thank the Lord. I know it's a little warm, but uh, it could be a lot worse. And so uh, it is beautiful. Isn't it amazing how uh, God has given us this beautiful campus, many churches, you know, unfortunately in this California, when we have so many restrictions, they can't hardly find a place to meet. So God's given us beautiful 12 acres and uh, we thank the Lord for all the workers who made this happen. Let's just give them our appreciation. Amen. Without them, we couldn't do it. Thank you. And all that beautiful music here. I'm telling you what, I, I just got to know that our uh, people all over this uh, whole area are listening to us. And so uh, you never know when the word gets out where it's going to go. The Bible says it is a powerful word. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for joining with us. It's always a blessing to be in the Lord's house. And I appreciate what Pastor Luke said. Uh, you can be sure of this. We're going to have church. It's just a fact. We're going to have church. <laughs> now, it might be a question where we have it. We might uh, be able to have it outside here during the nice weather or inside. Or if nothing else, we'll just go on up to the Walmart and have it in the aisles there at Walmart. We'll have church. And so uh, I know the Walmart people are pretty scared about that. But uh, anyway, uh, we're grateful to be able to be here. We're, we're believing God's going to change this scene uh, this pretty soon. I'm sure in November 3rd, it probably should change. <laughs> but anyway, Amen. excuse me for being a little uh, um, uh, ironic there. <laughs> All right. We're talking about the faithful life, the faithful life. How do we live a faithful life? Well, we've been looking through Scripture what faithfulness is. Of course, the, we began by talking about the model of faithfulness, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We even mentioned it last week that like uh, He set His face like a flint, and He would not be denied from His Father's will. He was going to go to the cross so that we could have eternal life. He is the model of faithfulness. We talked about the means of faithfulness. We've talked about the message of faithfulness. Now today, how is faithfulness probably, what is the way that it is most often manifested? Now medical science tells us that there are several systems in the human body. There is the circulatory system and the older I get, the less circulation I understand that's happening. And uh, then the, there is the respiratory system and the endocrine system. And there uh, is the skeletal system and the nerve system. And so there are many systems in the body. In order for us to function well, all those systems have to be uh, firing good. Now, as we get older and uh, or even not. Sometimes those systems don't all function like we'd like them to. But you may not realize that there are actually three systems that God has set up. And those three systems are found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And this is a prayer from the great apostle Paul to that wonderful church in Thessalonica, the miracle church. <laughs> Paul was there just for two weeks and God did a great work. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. What? Not H-O-L-Y, but in whole. I pray that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. 
The word spirit there is the first system. It is the Greek word pneuma. If you go down to the, uh, the gas station, you'll uh, get there and get the air uh, in your tire. That is a pneumatic uh, wrench or a pneumatic uh, air filler there. So it is the word for air, pneuma. That is the most unique thing about a human is the pneuma, the spirit in us, because that is what allows us to make a moral choice. That's what differentiates us from the human, or excuse me, from the animal kingdom or the plant kingdom. The second word there, so it says, I pray God your whole spirit, that's pneuma. Your soul, that is the Greek word psyche. Actually, in the Greek, it's uh, pronounced suke. But the psyche, that is the mind. There is a thinking part. Now, animals have minds. Uh, they, not, they don't think about a lot, but they think about food. And uh, we were at the zoo not too long ago, my wife and I, and we watched some gorillas. They were definitely thinking about some things. And so uh, the uh, animal kingdom thinks. The human world has moral. We have a pneuma. We also have a psyche. But then there is the third part, the third system that God has given, and that is the body or the Greek word soma. The soma is just the physical part. It is the gray cells that we have in our cranium up there. It is the blood, the, uh, the, this body that we have. And plants also have a body. It's just not blood. Uh, they have other things flowing through those little systems. And so uh, everything in life is a part of those three systems. But a human is the only thing that has a tripart. That's why uh, theologians uh, call a human a tripartite. We have, a, we have a three systems in us. Now, the reason I bring that up is because it is that, that pneuma that allows us to make moral choices, which is what allows us to be faithful or unfaithful. No such thing as an unfaithful dog or an unfaithful cow. Now, they may be a bad dog. <laughs> they may be a stupid dog, but they are not an unfaithful. They don't make the moral choice to hate you. Dogs love everybody. And plants love everybody if they had a thinking process. They, they just exist. And that's why Solomon said that, and, and I echo the same thing, that as we're in this world and as we go day to day, we realize that most often, most people we connect with really function on either the body level or they function on the mind level, the soma level, or they uh, function on the psyche level, but very few people function faithfully on the pneuma level. They just don't go to that God-fearing spirit. And in that, unfortunately, most of us humans really don't differentiate much from animals. In Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 18, the great uh, Solomon said, I, in my heart concerning the estates of men, he said, I began thinking in my mind, that God might manifest them. He said, my prayer and hope was that God might show people what they are, that they might see that they themselves are beasts. <laughs> wow, that's some straightforward talk right there. And Brother Solomon reminds us what I can echo, and that is that honestly, most humans function like animals. It's fact. They don't think good moral thoughts. They get up in the morning and it's food, food, food. It's get up in the morning, work, work, work. It's get up in the morning, it's fun, fun, fun. Those are, those are all things that are just, that animals do. I mean, monkeys have fun and, and uh, dogs want to eat and that's an animal thing to do. That is a suke. That is a psyche thing to do. It is certainly not a spiritual thing. So what is the point then of living? Is the point of living just so I can wake up and eat? Is my point for existence, is the very purpose of it, is it just to just, uh, you know, have fun in life? And No, God has something far different for that unique 
person called a human being. God breathed into a human the spirit, the pneuma. And as God-fearing people then, we live for a purpose. What is it? It is to display, it is to manifest faithfulness to God. Now, how can we best manifest our faithfulness to God? And that is the topic of Luke chapter 16. Jesus asked these people, if you wanted to show everybody that God existed, if you wanted to make a difference in this world, how would you best do it? Jesus said, I will tell you how you'll do it. You will do it by being faithful with your finances. Because how you handle your finances and the purpose you have your finances will display what you think about God. Whether you act like a dog or a human being that's faithful to God. Whether you act like an old tree out there, a stump, or like a human that is connected to God. What do we do? with our finances. This really comes down to the very core of our existence. And so I'm looking forward. And for those of you that are listening, stay tuned right now, would you? All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you. I pray that you will help us to understand, oh, Spirit of God, this passage has been so special to me. This passage, Lord, changed my life. And I want to share it with these precious saints here and abroad. Amen. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 16, if you would please. Now, if you have been in the church for a bit, and I know many of you are, have been here for a long time, so you may remember that we went through this parable, uh, Parables with Power, uh, last year. So we'll not take a lot of time to go over the parable, although we certainly could. Uh, and really, the story doesn't need a lot of clarification. It's pretty clear. But let's, uh, first of all, look at the explanation. And if you're taking notes or if you're writing them out or you're on your app there, and I do hope you'll uh, take advantage of that, we find the explanation. First of all, we see the dishonesty of the shrewd steward. Look at verse 1. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. Now, this is not a butler. <laughs> this is like a manager. This is like an administrative assistant. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And so it says that he uh, was not a very good employee. He was a bad employee. And unfortunately, that's uh, not changed a lot. In fact, it is epidemic in America today. Gallup recently did a study and found out that According to them, 70% of employees are actively disengaged, was their terminology. With those stats, that could be interesting, right? Someone was driving or flying or even going down to the barber and trying to do something with this beautiful hair of mine. I mean, I don't want a disengaged barber, I will tell you that. But uh, it's like the fellow who said, I don't mind coming to work. It's the eight-hour wait to go home that I can't stand. And uh, so being disengaged is certainly something that's happening today. This guy was disengaged. And according to Scripture, those who are disengaged, those who are slothful, are also a brother to a dishonest person. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 9, He that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. No surprise there. Any person will just let his resources just flow through his hands, that same person will steal those resources. And so then as the book of Proverbs says, it wasn't long before this steward was found out. So this manager, this employee, this administrative assistant who was over all of his lands and even over his family, really, over his children, this man was found out. And we do get found out, and we get found out in our finances. I can quote a verse to you that my mom, I don't know why it was her favorite verse, but she used to quote this to me all the time. Numbers chapter 32, and I don't understand why, because I was such a nice kid. But Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And this is the part she was always quote to me. Be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> Say that with me. Be sure your sin will find you out. 
There you go. You sound just like my mom. The dishonesty of the shrewd steward, and he was found out. Now, the discharge of the shrewd student, steward, he is going to get fired. And as our TV star president used to say, you're fired. Look at verse number two. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? I can't believe you're doing this. Give an account, and we will give account, of our stewardship. Thou mayest be no longer steward. Ah, oh, must have been a terrible thing for that fellow to realize they Often landowners, especially large landowners, and from the amount of money that this man was owed, we realized this guy had a pretty substantial type of state, and he'd be gone for weeks, maybe at a time, and he would hope this manager would take care of things, his administrative assistant, but he didn't. And so he said, all right, you're going to give an account. And then he said, you're going to have to, notice what it says, you're going to give an account, or you're going to have to make it right, and then you're gone. You're no longer steward. You are out of here. And uh, I'm sure this uh, steward had all of his excuses. Can you agree with me there? I'm sure he said, well, this was why I did it, and this was why I did it. But the fact was, he just was a crook. I read a trivial little story this week and had to laugh at it. This uh, husband and wife decided they were going to put some free stuff on, on the uh, Craigslist and uh, so they offered free stuff, gave the address, told people to come by and pick it up. And so it was middle of the night. The middle of the night, they heard something and they went out there and they saw folks that were carrying things out of their house, this couple. They said, what in the world are you doing? They said, well, you advertise free stuff. And uh, no, that's, uh, that kind of sounds like the looters in America right now, huh? Hey, free stuff. But anyway, um, that's what this guy, I'm sure he made that excuse. Well, Hey, I didn't know that uh, you really meant that I had to take care of everything. Oh, that's amazing kind of excuses we have. But Bible believers know that uh, we have moral choices and we have to be responsible for that. James chapter 1 and verse 14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. Yeah, it's true. The devil may throw the match, but we provide that uh, powder dry kindling so that that can burn. And so we need to make sure that our moral choices are godly choices. And so here's this fellow. He was dishonest, and then he got discharged. He got fired. And then, number three, the discernment of the shrewd steward. And I use the word discernment in uh, loosely because it wasn't true discernment. He was just uh, uh, careful in what he did. Look at verse three. Then the steward said within himself, He's thinking, all right, he's starting to really uh, chew through this. What shall I do for my Lord? Taketh away from me the stewardship. Oh, my goodness, I've got this nice job. I've got a place to stay. I've got a good income. Wow, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I just can't take, I just, this is going to be bad. And then he said, I cannot dig. I cannot dig. Now, why can't he dig? I, from what I was reading in that text, I don't see anything there that he was, uh, had a disability or he was too old to dig. No, I think he was just a plain lazy. He said, uh, I cannot dig. I need some income. I need someone to guarantee some income. Nice if he could have lived in Stockton, amen? Get some, bare, some guaranteed uh, basic life income. But anyway, um, then he says, to beg, I am ashamed. To beg, I'm ashamed. Oh, my. Not only was he lazy, he was proud. And uh, it's amazing, isn't it, how we define shame? He was ashamed to steal. Excuse me. He, uh, he was ashamed to admit that he needed something, but he wasn't ashamed to steal. <laughs> And uh, well, here he goes. He's, uh, he's got some problems, this manager. Look at verse 4 now. We'll read down through verse 7. I am resolved what to do. Ah, I, I got it. That when I'm put out of the stewardship, when I'm no longer able to be that administrative assistant, that manager, they may receive me into their houses. So he comes up with a plan. I'm just going to uh, write off all these debts. Verse 5, so he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much thou owest unto my Lord? 
He said, a hundred measures of oil. That's a pretty good uh, bit. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50, cut it in half. So he came up with this uh, debt amnesty program, made it sound real good, and then made it sound like it was because he was doing it. It was his own personal favor. Verse 7, then he said to another, notice how he's talking to them personally. He didn't send a little note or anything. He, he said, come on in, I want to talk to you. My friend, you're such a good friend, and I've always loved you, and oh, he, you know, watch out when those guys are patting you on the back so much, you know, better check and see if they're not putting a knife in there. Verse 7, and he said to another, how much owest thou? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. That guy knew what he owed. You know, everybody knows what they owe and they may say not, but it says, and he said unto them, take thy bill and write four score. And so he, uh, he came up with this plan and I'm telling you what, scams, uh, here, 2,000 years ago, there were scams, and 2,000 years later, still scams, aren't there? I mean, to tell you, it's crazy out there. And not too long ago, I got a phone call. It was a recording, and uh, I began reading it. It, you know, it had gone, gone to text, and it said it was the IRS and this and that, and so it said I was supposed to call them. So I called them up. I said, man, it's the first time. I'd never heard anything such a scam like this. And so uh, since then, I've heard about it. But uh, I was listening, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I realized something must be wrong because the person on the phone said, and we're going to call the cops. And I said, I don't think the IRS is going to say that. But, uh, you know, uh, there are crazy scams out there. This fellow had the same idea. He just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut your debt. I'm doing this personally. And he almost made it sound like it was okay with the the boss. I mean, why wouldn't they think it was okay? Because he was a reputable man. And uh, they thought, well, it must be okay. And so they were all too quick to write it off. Boy, I mean, tell you, they were excited. And so we find the explanation. Now let's go to the application. So Jesus is here. Maybe it's a time like this, beautiful blue um, Mediterranean skies, maybe a uh, weather about like this. Jesus was sitting out there. People sitting on some rocks on the grass. People were listening closely. So Jesus is telling this wonderful story. They're all listening for the punchline. And so he's going to give it to them. Here's the punchline. Verse number eight. And the Lord commended the unjust steward. Now, when Jesus said that, I'm sure everybody just said, what? What? <laughs> commended him the dishonest, low-life, slimy thief commended him? What? And by the way, this particular passage, one of the hardest for commentators to be able to explain, and especially new Christians, it spins their wheels on them. And because people have a hard time wrapping their hand around, how could it be good that a man did an immoral thing. But hold on. Jesus said, and the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. Now, let's, uh, let's understand that the word wisely isn't biblical wisdom. It is earthly wisdom. It is somebody who's shrewd. He had been very shrewd for the children of this world. Now, listen, the children of this world, isn't that an interesting phrase? They're either children of the world or children of light. For the children of this world in their generation are wiser than the children of light. Here to commend this dishonest, evil man for his shrewdness. Really what Jesus was commending him for was that he was preparing for his own future. This was the original prepper right here. And the people are warning us that if uh, President Trump wins the election, there's going to be an all-out war, you know, and well, whatever. You know, we need to vote uh, morally and biblically and uh, God will take care of us. But this man uh, those pe and people are prepping, you know, for that. They're getting their this or getting their that. Folks, you don't need to do all that. Just, just trust God. We'll, we'll get through this. But that's what this man was doing. He was preparing 
his future. And so he was writing off, and really, <laughs> in one sense, he actually did a good thing. I mean, he it was kind of like Robin Hood. He stole from his boss and gave it to the poor. I mean, he just basically gave these people uh, a, a whole bunch of money by writing off their debt. And so in one respect, he did a good thing. He helped humanity, and he, but the whole point was he was looking out for his own future. Jesus is saying, here's the problem. In my experience with children of light, honest to goodness, God-fearing, born-again Christians, they have less preparation for their future, other than their salvation, than the lost do. Here's a man who is a lost person who spends more of his thoughts and efforts on being faithful for the future, our physical lives. And so he was saying, we need to, we need to do something about this and we need to prepare ourselves for the future. Many Christians today really aren't ready for the future. Oh, I mean, we've got our name written in the Lamb's book of life and that's hallelujah for that. But to really say, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus, who we're told is the judgment seat of Christ, by the way. <laughs> it is a judgment seat of Christ. That sounds a little bit uh, hairy <laughs> when you think about it. Judgment seat. And God is going to judge our life. What have we done? What have we done that's different than an animal? What have I done with my life that's different than a plant? A plant never makes a moral choice. An animal never makes a moral choice. But I do. I make a moral choice every morning. What am I going to do with my clothing? What am I going to do with my food? What am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do with my money? What am I going to do with my entertainment? Am I living for the glory of God? Or am I living for just like an animal to eat and drink and just have fun? That's what animals do. But a, someone with a pneuma, someone with a spirit ought to live different, ought to be different. Jesus said, you need to be faithful. And then he gives four principles of faithfulness that I want to give you that these principles have changed my life. Now look at verse number nine. First of all, the things of this world are temporary. So put it down. If it's temporary, then there's something about it that I need to, I need to recognize. This is not the, this is not the end goal. Verse nine. I say unto you, make unto yourselves friends of the mammon and of righteousness. That when ye fail, which we do, we all fail, <laughs> just like businesses fail, they, people fail, we all do, we, we die, we, a business that's dead is called failing. They may receive you into everlasting habitations. And so God said here that we need to make ourselves friends of the mammon and of righteousness. Again, something seems strange here. First of all, God is commending this guy for being dishonest, which he wasn't. He was commending him for his thinking about the future, his thinking about the future more than the children of light do, his willingness to really prepare for the, for the future day. Now he's saying, you need to make yourself to be a friend of the mammon of unrighteousness. Mammon. That's kind of an old English word there. But actually, it's a very, it's a word for us to understand. It is, most people think of it as the word money. And that's a good translation. A better translation would be profit. The profit or something we gain. But the actual best translation is it, uh, mammon is an Ar uh, Aramaic word. It is the name of a Chaldean. It is the name of a Babylonian. It is the name of a Middle Eastern god. Mammon was a god. It was a false god. It was a spirit. And so Jesus said, now I'm going to tell you something. There is a spirit attached to money. And I will tell you, you know that's true, don't you? Because I've, I've noticed over the years, you can talk about just about anything, but you start talking about money and people get really, they just get all up and up. 
because you just kind of get up inside of them. There's a spirit that just gets on us. It gets in us. It gets around us. It is a spirit. Jesus said, put that spirit to rest. Just you need to, you need to use this mammon of unrighteousness. Now, it's unrighteous because many times money is gotten unrighteously. Let's just be honest. This world, for the most part, gets money however they can. They will cheat. They will be dishonest. They will bend the rules. They will do whatever it takes. Now, I know as faithful Christians, we try to do the right thing. And even with that, it's sometimes hard because of all the crazy rules and regulations out there. But the fact is, much of the money that's out there is in some way or form connected to something unrighteous. It is either from something unrighteous, it's been made from evil stuff, and so God says it's unrighteous. But God said, use it, but use it faithfully. You can't live in this world without being connected to mammon. But he said, use it faithfully. It is uh, the mammon of unrighteousness because uh, it is uh, it is maybe gotten unrighteously or simply it's unrighteous because it's not eternal. It's temporal. So he said, make yourself a friend of it. That point got me. 40 years ago, nearly, I read that and I said, what? I'm supposed to become a friend of money? It is supposed to be my friend? It is because it's kind of like you almost get this thinking that all Christians shouldn't be a friend of money. I mean, it's not a, you know. No, God said, be a friend of it. In other words, you control that. You, can, you make sure that you've got this thing going your way. Don't let um, money be your master. Don't let money to become a slave to money. But do you have to become connected to it. So you need to do it God's way. The way that God wants us to do with that money is to become, is to make it eternal and to realize that my happiness doesn't come from it, but it is something I am connected to. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, happiness never comes from the abundance of the things that we have or the abundance of relationships. <laughs> I like what dear Abby once said, and she's not a, always uh, on target with her advice, but in this one she was. A man wrote to dear Abby and said, I am in love. But he said, I'm having an affair with two different women other than my wife. But honestly, I love my wife too. But I love these other women. Dear Abby, please tell me what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do, but don't give me any of that morality stuff. Signed, too much love for only one woman. Abby wrote back to too much love for only one. She said wisely, the only difference between humans and animals is their morality. So please write to a veterinarian. <laughs> yeah. Amen. The fact is, our life is more than money and it's more than relationships. It is about making moral choices. That's what makes us different than the animals. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He said, there's nothing wrong with money. Just use it morally because you're going to fail. Notice what he says, that when ye fail, it's not if, that's not an if, that is a when. When we die, we're going to face what we've done with our resources. And so he says very clearly, there's coming a place a place that is not made with the hands of man, but the hands of God. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 1, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. And so I thank God that we have a heavenly home. And if you have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, folks, you are a million times richer than Jeff Bezos you should feel sorry for him because you've got a heavenly home. You are rich. We just don't quite have it yet, but I'm telling you, we are rich. And so what Jesus is saying here is since you're going to fail, the things that you have in your hand 
are temporary. The second principle is the things of this world are to be used and not abused. Now look at verse 10. And notice there is a, there is a strong transition here in this verse. So he's been telling this wonderful story. He kind of gave us a little buffer in verse 9, and now he lowers the boom. Look at verse 9. He begins to talk about what this is all about. He that is faithful, he that is faithful, if you are a faithful man, if you are a faithful woman of God, then you'll be faithful in that which is least. Money, that's the small stuff. And yet for many people, that's the big stuff. And he that is unjust in the least, tragically, is also unjust also in the most. Here he's saying that money is a means, it is not an end. Never use the things of this world as though that's the end target. Retirement is not the end. A certain number in my bank account is not the end. A job is not the end. A certain acquisition is not the end. A certain house at a certain place or a certain vehicle, those are means. Those are, those are something I use, not abuse. Let me give you an example of clothing, for example. For some people, clothing is an end. We must realize that there are means. They're just something God gives us for certain purposes. Now, when I was a teenager, I saw more as an end. I can still recall that time I looked so fine. I had all that blonde hair, you know, and I could swoop it like that. It just goes like that across. I know you can't believe that, but that's true. And uh, I wore these big old bell-bottom pants, and they were big old checks on them. I mean, I still remember. I had big two-tone uh, platform shoes and a nice uh, uh, beige-colored shirt and a nice little bow tie and a big old giant belt. And uh, it, my pants hung way down low. Not low. I mean, they just were that big. I don't know what was wrong with those pants. But anyway, um, but I tell you what, I, and I have a picture. I'm going to tell you, I look good. I thought that was the end. Clothes were for my coolness. It was for me to look good. Over the years, I realized that clothing has three purposes, at least. First of all, and uh, because I love these alliterations, it is for protection. So it's a means to protect us from the heat or the cold, protect our morals, protect our eyes, and in some cases, especially if I didn't have clothes, to protect you <laughs> and your eyes, but to it's for our protection. It is also for our representation. For example, gender, or uh, if we're a, uh, an officer, or to send a message. And many times Christians don't realize that their clothing sends a message. If I wear, you know, uh, all crazy looking, grungy looking, and have chains and spikes and everything, you'd say, is there anything? I don't see anything in the Bible about that. You're right. Nothing in the Bible about it. But our purpose in our clothing is for representation. It is not an end. It is to say something. It is for protection. It is for representation. And it is for augmentation, meaning it helps us. Uh, certain kinds of boots might help us stand or do some work. And so clothing is for protection. It is for representation. It is to help us. So God said, that's good. Clothing is good, but it's not an end. The end of life is not a Gucci handbag. The end of life is not uh, Prada shoes. The end of life is not, you know, an Italian, you know, $5,000 suit. The end of life, those are only, if that happens, man, enjoy it. It's great. But that's not the end. It's just, it's just a means. It's a, it's a way to go there. Paul said this very clearly when he was writing to his young brother in the Lord Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high-minded. Don't get all highfalutin and all puffed up. Don't trust in your riches, but in the living God. But then listen to this last part of who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Enjoy everything you've got. If you get a beautiful vacation, enjoy. If you got a lovely car with air conditioning, hallelujah, enjoy it. If you've got a wonderful 
a five-guy burger like my wife and I had on Friday. Man, I enjoyed it. If, enjoy what you have, but just don't, then verse, two, verse 18, but do good with what you have. Be rich in good works, quick, ready to distribute and willing to communicate. Give it away. Be quick to give stuff away. Laying up in the store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. God said, use it, enjoy it, don't trust it. It's eternal. There's, I'm doing something eternal with what you have. Be quick to ready to give away. One time I admired Tom Williams, evangelist Tom Williams tie. This was when I was in my early 20s. He was a well-known uh, evangelist, and he really looked sharp, and I loved his tie, and I just, I complimented him. I said, Brother Williams, that is just a, that is an excellent looking tie. I just, I love it. He said, you like that? And so he just took it right off, and he said, here you go, Brother Tim. And uh, then I said, I love your wallet, and, uh, but no, anyway, I, uh, but he did. He gave me his tie, and I just always appreciated that, and over the years, I've done that myself several times, because it says quick to give it away if someone wants it. Now, I know you're going to come up to me afterwards. You're going to be wanting something. Verse 11, if ye therefore have not. Now, listen to this. Woo, now, now we're going to get down to the brass tacks. You better have your, your uh, you better be ready here because you better get your helmet on. If therefore you have not been faithful, if you've not been faithful, with the stuff you have, your unrighteous mammon, all this temporary stuff, nothing wrong with clothing, nothing wrong with cars and lands and money. But if you can't be faithful with it, I can't trust you with true riches. Forget it. It's not going to happen. You are not going to get the true riches. And I will tell you, that verse knocked me on the ground. Did this, just did. Almost 40, knocked me on the ground. Just, that's it. What? I knew enough to know, not real smart, but I knew enough to know that it wasn't about just the stuff. And I desperately wanted the power of God for making a difference in this world. I desperately wanted my prayers answered. I desperately wanted the grace of God in my life. I wanted a good marriage. I wanted a good family. I wanted the things of God that were not purchased with money. I wanted that so bad. And I could see around me that the Hollywood and others had nothing, nothing. They had fame, but had nothing. They had terrible marriages and kids that were reprobates. Terrible. And so I said, God, I will do then what it takes I will be, by, by your grace and with your help, I will learn to be faithful. I'll become a friend of money so I can, because I want the true riches. I'm getting it. It's not about the money. It's not about the clothes or the houses or the cars. It's, that's only a means. It's not the end. It's, you've got a purpose behind this. You're using that as a test so that you can give me these wonderful riches. I mean, God's like, if I can't trust you with a, with a firecracker, why, how can I give you a stick of dynamite? And friend, the power of God is a stick of dynamite. If you don't know what to do with it, you'll blow your head right off. God said, I want you to be faithful. Now, what are the three most common ways of unfaithfulness in our uh, as a Christian, with our finances, with our resources. Let me give those to you very quickly. And I will say that uh, if you want a full explanation of all these things, uh, I'll be telling about that in just a moment. But here are the three. Number one, and they all involve spending, as I'm glad Pastor Luke mentioned that. By the way, I can help you with that alliteration there. At the, and uh, the first one is sharing. There you go. That's, and they're all S's that way. All right, um, spending God's tithe. 
spending God's tithe. Now, the tithe means tenth. Friend, nothing is more clear from the book of Genesis all the way through the New Testament that God wants the tithe. Friend, it's as simple as this. If you are not giving 10% of your income to God, you are an unfaithful person. I'm going to just tell you straight up. If you don't like it, you just got to talk to God about that because I didn't write that, just in case you know. I know you think your pastor wrote that verse, but I didn't. That was God a whole long time ago. Folks, if you are so stingy that you can't even give God back 10% of your income, that is unfaithful. How can God trust you with his real riches? And, I, and furthermore, Malachi 3 says, if you don't, you are cursed with a curse. God says, I will begin to take away what you have because if I can't trust you with your, to give that first tenth. Now, it is the first tenth and it is the beginning. It's not the roof of giving. It's just the basement of giving. Great example is Abraham he wanted to always honor God. And in Genesis chapter 14, uh, he, way before the law, he just said, you know what? I'm going to give a tenth to God. Now, who put that in his brain? Did Abraham just think of that? No, the Holy Spirit put that in Abraham's mind because that is a way to honor God. It's, it is a way to understand God. So the first abuse is spending God's time. The second one is spending more than we have. Friends, if you don't have a zero-based budget, you're in trouble. If you don't have a priority spending plan, a restricted allocative type of budget, meaning cookie jars. The first cookie jar is God. The second cookie jar, you know, is your housing. The third cookie jar is your food. The fourth cookie jar is your, you know, your clothing and so forth, transportation. These are the basics. You put it in the cookie jar, you don't touch it. Nobody touches what's in the cookie jar. But most folks, they have, they're just like spaghetti. They don't have any consistent budget. The best way to do that maybe is just envelopes. A little bit in this envelope, a little bit in this envelope. That's the idea. Here's what God says about people who just spend their money without any regard. Proverbs 21, 20. There's treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. And it's like a drug to some people. I mean, honestly, they, they just spend and it's like a drug to them. The third uh, biggest uh, problem of unfaithfulness in our resources is spending future income. We've gotten so crazy. And, you know, unfortunately, the last 50 or 60 years have brought us lots of moderate advances. But there's one advance that's just terrible. That's, it's a blight. And that is credit. Now, actually, the, the more accurate term is debt, because credit actually is just a, a way to discern a person's financial worthiness. Credit's not the problem. Debt's the problem. If you have a credit card, that's not the problem. You might get rewards with it or something like that. But if you use it as a debt card, then we got a problem. Now, um, I cannot imagine how much misunderstanding there is about debt in people's minds. I mean, you would think with all the verses on it that people would have it down, but they, it's just, I, I, in fact, I rarely meet a Christian who understands what debt is. If you go through scripture, it's very clear. And I actually, because, and far as I know, this is about the only book on this, I think to this extent, and uh, it's called Discerning Debt. I put it together because so many people, and I'm telling you folks, You'd say, well, it's just a financial thing. It is not. It's about faithfulness to God. Look, if it's just finances, whatever. I mean, get some advice from somebody here. I, mean, I don't care. It's just nothing is not that important. But if it's connected to faithfulness to God, if it's connected to my eternity, not my, my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, but my rewards, friend, it's important. Amen. It's important. <laughs> And so I want to make sure I don't violate this. What is debt? It is simply any unsecured obligation. Simple as that. If something is not 100% secured, then it is debt. 
So that you can go from there. God doesn't have a problem with us making contracts or having, you know, doing business and, you know, using our credit worthiness and things like that. But we have to have the resources in hand or the thing that we have collateralizes itself. It's built in. It just takes care of the debt. Then there's, you can't uh, come back and take my family and take us out of our home and, and ruin us. And so God's very clear. And here's the verse that God, again, another verse that God just uh, nailed me on. I kept reading Romans 13, 8. No, no man, anything. Oh, no man, anything. And so I remember one of the first times I read that, I was like, okay, I'm not sure it doesn't mean that because, you know, it can't mean you can't owe anybody. I mean, that just doesn't, that's, that's un-American not to have, you know, a credit card or not to have debt. This was years ago. And so I began reading and I, I really liked it when some commentary kind of would help me kind of get it. And even some very conservative ones, good ones, people I love. And then one day I was reading that and the Holy Spirit just told, just poked me and said, when are you going to believe the Bible? I want to bless you, but I can't bless you if you're going to fiddle around with scripture. If you're just going to do an end run, explain it away, do, then fine. But if you want my power, if you want my blessing, if you want my favor, then believe it and obey it. And I remember, I remember about where I was. And I said, all right, God, from this day forward, I will never be in debt, ever. I will never again be in debt. I will owe no man anything. And in case you would like to do a Greek study, do it. Please do it. I beg you to do it. I challenge you to do it. Because you will find there are five Greek negatives. And in the Greek, when you, there's multiplied negatives, it's not a canceling, it is a emphasizing. If I say I ain't got no money, that means I got money. In English, but in the Greek, if you just keep saying no, nothing, never, nothing at all, because <laughs> I've heard people say, oh, that's not talking about money. Well, anyway. All right, there is a third principle of faithfulness, and I must hurry. The things of this world are not ours, verse 12. If you, by the way, if you want to get this uh, information today, we have over there, in the, and you can get it online as well, but today, uh, all the books on finances are half price. You can have that just as a way to remind us. Verse 3, or excuse me, verse 12, and if you have not been faithful and that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The things of this world are not our own. He said, well, I just don't agree. I think the things that I have are mine. Really? You do. I just don't agree with you. I earned it. It's mine. No, it's not. It's God's. So I don't agree. All right, then let's do a test. Here's the test. When you die, will you have it? If it's yours, then you can take it with you, right? Of course you can. Go ahead, take it with you. Friend, online, take it with you. Now, I've been doing funerals for a lot of years. And as a result of that, I've seen lots of hearses. I've seen big ones. I've seen even ones look like carriages. I've seen every kind of a hearse you can imagine, small ones, big ones. But I have yet to see a hearse with a U-Haul trailer behind it. Nobody ever takes anything. And if you think it's yours, you are sadly mistaken. You were just living in a, in a fictitious world this morning. It is never yours. It is never mine. It's been given to me for a purpose. Everything, my clothes, my car, my life, my time, my vacation, everything. I wake up every day with the understanding, who can I bless today? Who can I touch today? What can I do to further the gospel? That is what we're here for. Then the fourth this morning, the things of this world are indicators of our allegiances. No man can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or else hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot 
serve God and mammon. Notice how Jesus is kind of like I was today. I'm not like Jesus, but I kind of followed his pattern. He started off with this real nice little story. It was a beautiful story. Everybody was connecting. It was a beautiful time. And now he lowers the hammer. He comes down right here and he said, you need to make your choice. Make it. Either serve God or you serve the dollar. You serve God or you serve your clothing or your house or your job or your sports or whatever. Make a choice. You can't have both. Well, I just feel like I can juggle it. No, you can't. One is going to always suffer and we know which one that'll be. Because most humans act like animals. We don't work in the pneuma. We work in the soma. We work in the psyche. We, we just, we give little attention to our spiritual growth and our spiritual purposes. I close with this story. There was a very well-to-do man, extremely rich, very wealthy, very wealthy. He is so wealthy that pretty much every time you were around him, it's all you could think about was this man's extreme uh, blessings financially in his life. He was walking along and someone who was his friend, he was walking along and he saw a penny on the ground. He looked at it and stopped, and his friend was watching this wealthy man. The wealthy man reached down and picked it up and examined it very closely. And the friend really was taken back, in fact, even irritated that this wealthy man was so stingy, so money-hungry, that he would take time to pick a penny off the ground and then just look at it longingly. So the friend just commented, he said, what? Why would you do that? Well, I mean, why, why, did you, why did you take time to pick that up? And I mean, good night, you don't need a penny. The rich man actually was a, a godly man. Nothing wrong with being rich and godly at the same time. It's not a, that's, those aren't opposed. The rich man said these words. He said, you know, I pick up a penny and I always look at it. Because on it, it says, in God, we trust. It may be money, but I don't trust it. My trust is in God. Where is our trust today? Is our trust in our bank account? Is our trust in our some retirement account? Whatever. Folks, everything God has given us is for his purpose. I can't imagine having a, an estate and then just frittering it away or giving it to ungodly whatever, why not use it for God? I think we ought to take care of our loved ones and others, of course. But friends, let's use, let's realize that everything He's given us, our time, our energies, and of course our talents and our money is for God. Because we're moral agents, we uniquely have the opportunity to use what we have for a purpose. And God will bless you with so many spiritual blessings, you just will never believe how your Christian life will just flourish, all because you got faithful in this matter. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And for those of you listening online, thank you for hanging in there with us. And I love you, and all of us here love you. And if you're our church family, please know that we pray for you and we're grateful for you. And we'll be looking forward to the day Then you can come back and be with us here. I know some are older, others are not feeling well, others have medical concerns and we love you, we understand. But I want you to know that we care about you. We look forward to seeing you soon. But if you're here and you're listening, I want you to know that God wants to do something so great in your life. I pray that you will just uh, buy into this great Bible truth that 
uh, the, the greatest manifestation of our faithfulness is that being faithful with our resources. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. As I mentioned earlier, we're not talking about being saved. Tithing and being faithful with our money has nothing to do with my getting to heaven. That's, that's my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you want to know more about that or if you're listening, friend, here's the prayer. The most powerful prayer you'll ever pray. It's known as the sinner's prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm a lost sinner. Come into my heart and save my soul. And on the authority of God's word, God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll save you. Praise God. We sure love each one of you. And thank you all for coming here this morning. Could I just lead you in a prayer of dedication? Would you join with me as I did those 40 years ago? Would you say, Lord, I dedicate everything I have to you. I dedicate my car to you. I dedicate my house to you. I dedicate my clothes to you. I dedicate my bank account. I dedicate my job. I dedicate my family. I realize I can't serve both God and stuff and things. I got to make a choice. And today, on this day in September 2020, I do here and now dedicate everything I have to God. I want to live for Him. My time, my talent, my treasure, they're all God's. And I dedicate that to Him.